Well, God, we thank you that we can study your word. Uh, Your word tells us that it will not return void, meaning there's value in what we study tonight. It tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so I pray that your word would train us tonight. We know that your word is so inspired, so truthful that it can divide like a sword between our soul and our flesh. And I pray that your word would do that for us tonight. And uh, we pray that uh, you'd, you would be um, glorified as we are edif- edified tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we're in Genesis. Surprise, surprise. So turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, and tonight we're in uh, chapters 24 and 25. And just as a reminder of where we are, maybe you, you missed last week, and so you kind of need to ramp up because you, you missed, uh, we, we missed each other over the holidays. And Now you're back. Remember, all the way back in chapter 12, things changed in Genesis. All the way up to chapter 11 in Genesis is all about big events. God creating the world, six literal 24-hour days. And then after that occurred, Adam and Eve were married. And after that, sin entered the world, the fall of mankind. And then the, the, the things that changed on planet Earth as a result of that, the things that changed in their marriage as a part of that, and things changed in their family because of that. Things changed so much that the... Uh, very first two kids that we know of, one of them killed the other with Cain and Abel. Big events, you know, events in Genesis. And then as that sin continued to grow among the, among the people that were populating the earth, it got so bad that God finally was so fed up with all of the depravity in the world that he decided to judge the world. Now you might say, well, who is he to do that? How unfair is that, that God would do that? Well, he's the potter, we're the clay, right? I mean, he can do whatever he, the the potter can do what he wants with the clay. He formed us, he made us, he has complete dominion over who we are in all ways. But the depravity uh, that came from Adam and Eve's fall entered into all men through birth and then through the committing of the sin, proving that it came from the birth. And ultimately, God destroyed the world through a flood. And then we have Noah, the righteous one. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't holy, but he was a believer. Whatever he, whatever he could have believed in, we don't know everything that he knew about a future Messiah or any of that. Whatever he knew of, he believed it. And so God used him as a rescue ship for all who would believe, and that ark was a picture of Jesus Christ. It's a, Jesus Christ is, a, is another ark. The, the world is going to be destroyed. Uh, in, in our message today, the world is going to be destroyed. People are going to pay for it. Every sin must be paid for. Every sin must be paid for, because God is a just God. And so Noah was the salvation you enter the ark and you will be saved from the waters. And of course, our message today is enter into the ark of Jesus Christ, the, the message of the gospel, and you will be saved. However, the future destruction from today is not going to be by water, it will be by fire. Nevertheless, faith in Christ, entering into Christ, will save us from that eternal destruction. Well, there were some people that were saved in that destruction. Of course, that was Noah and his family. They repopulated the world again. 
and they wanted to be a homogeneous group. God wanted them to spread out all around the world, and so Babel occurred, and God spread the, spread the populations of the nations all around the world up through chapter 11. But then we got to chapter 12, and everything changed. No longer was about global events and global things. Imagine the amount of people that lived on planet Earth during the amount of years that we've been following in Genesis. Millions of people. And yet, we, and yet Genesis only covers four guys, <laughs> only four. He zeroes in on these four men. Abraham, we've been following Abraham ever since chapter 12, and now here we are in, in chapter 24, and we're still following Abraham. And then it was Isaac, and after Isaac, then it was Jacob, and then Joseph. And these are the men that we will follow in the book of Genesis because it's out of these men that God's going to create a great nation. Now, last week, you remember, it was all about death. God gave Abraham a final exam test. He'd been quizzing Abraham all along, and Abraham had failed some of the quizzes, but now it's a final exam. And the final exam was death, that Abraham was to kill in a sacrifice and worship to God his own son, though his son that God had promised to him the son that was going to be the fulfillment of all of the, the promises that God had made about making him a, the, the leader of a great people, uh, that he would have many offspring. It was that son, the son that, that they had waited for 90, that uh, Sarah had waited for 90 years to bear. Finally, that son was born. And now God asked him to sacrifice him. And, and by this point in time, Abraham was so confident in the Lord. You know, I mentioned on Sunday, you know, time, life, time in life has a sense of humiliating a person, you know? And that's what happened to Abraham, that, that he was humiliated over time, and he grew humility, trusting in the Lord. And by the time this final exam came along, Abraham's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. He was sure that, that he was going to have to kill his boy. And that God was going to raise him from the dead because he knew that God had promised that through that boy was going to come make great many nations. As you know, he did not have to kill his son. He passed the test, though. And last week, the, the, the last chapter that we read was Sarah, the sweet, sweet bride of Abraham. She died, and he buried her. And now tonight, we move from Abraham, and we move to the next two patriarchs all in one night. We go from Isaac and then to Jacob tonight. So why don't we jump in to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24 is a very long chapter, um, and so we're going to just focus on certain passages that, that really matter here, and um, I'll just uh, fly over. Some of it's just flyover country, and so we will fly over it. Uh, but Genesis chapter 24, verse 1, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. He was old. He was almost 140 years old at this point in time. And so he had walked with God now for 65 of those years. The first 50 of those years um, were a bunch of quizzes that he had failed in difficult times in life of humiliation but he was learning over those 50 years. He was still walking with the Lord. He was just <laughs> failing the quizzes. And, uh, and he didn't pass all those quizzes, but he obviously did pass the final, the final test. And it says here that the Lord blessed Abraham in every way. 
So in what ways can you think of that God blessed Abraham? Any ideas? His wife. His wife is a, is a great blessing. She, remember, he's bowing over the, the, the body of his dearly departed, and he was just bawling like a baby. I actually wrote down, who, who said that? Who was that? Was that Ryan? Thank you, Ryan. I wrote down, Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So a man who finds a, a wife, that, that wife is to be considered as a favor, as a blessing from God that he has her. And that's exactly what Abraham had. He had a wife like that. Can you think of any other blessings that Abraham had? His, his son. Okay, that's another one. Remember, his wife was unable to have children for lo those many years. And they tried all their own human ways for that to occur. And yet then finally they had that son. He was promised that son at 75 years old. And yet he didn't have that son until he was 100 years old. 25 years of patiently waiting. Another blessing that he really never saw but he knows will come someday is the blessing of that land. God promised him the land. He didn't, he didn't receive it yet. He died having not received it. He was still a sojourner. He was still a stranger in the land. And yet he knows that that promise is going to be fulfilled someday in the future. Well, let's keep reading here. Abraham goes to, to find a, a wife, a bride, a good thing for his son. Verse 2, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had owned, please place, please place your hand under my thigh, and it's a way of making an agreement, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where he came? And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. So uh, Isaac needs a wife, and Abraham is going to find his son a wife. And so he sends his servant. <laughs> Just imagine this. Could you imagine this happening to you? Where your parents send somebody else to a foreign country and just bring back some girl, sight unseen, and you got to marry her. And now the servant also kind of recognizes, um, what woman is going to come back with me in this? She doesn't know who she's marrying. She can't see the studly man that he is. Should I take him with me so that the women can see the ripped muscles and the, you know, and the, and then, then she would be interested in marrying him. He says, no, you're just going to go and you're going to, to find somebody. Now, how in the world am I going to find somebody was a curiosity in the servant's mind. Verse seven, the Lord said, oh, sorry, Abraham is speaking, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give you this land. He will send this angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. 
So after walking with God for 65 years, things have changed. If this would, would have been 50 years ago, Abraham would have said, okay, I'll go with you. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, get him, you know, we'll get Isaac on all the dating apps. We'll make sure that he, we get the, the good one for him. We'll weed out all the bad ones. Uh, we'll find the prettiest one. That's how he would have done it. But now after 65 years of God teaching him in all of the difficult situations, him now fi- passing the final test of complete belief in God, Abraham's like, God's going to send an angel. He'll figure it out. You're just going to bring her back. I'm not even worried about it. That's what, that's what maturity in the, the Lord does. When you walk with God for such a long time, it, it changes who you are, and it certainly changed him as well. And of course, God certainly did come through. That's exactly what happened. From verse 8 all the way through verse 60 of this chapter is all about the 500-mile journey that this servant takes, finds a girl, it happens to be Abraham's great-niece, Rebecca, and, and she then agrees, <laughs> sight unseen, and Rebecca imme- immediately, leaves, immediately leaves her hometown and comes all the way back to uh, Mary. Isaac. Now, Isaac, by this point in time, is 40 years old. He's not, you know, young 21 stud anymore. He's now 40. And his dad is finally stepping in. You need a wife, boy. And a wife is a good thing. And so we can't miss the wedding here. We've got to go to the wedding. So the wedding is in verse 61 of Genesis 24. Verse 61 of Genesis 24. Then Rebekah rose with her mates, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. This was the servant. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Verse 63. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. That's interesting. It's still standing. And he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after her mother's death. That's such a beautiful story. It's such a a wonderful story that this Rebekah that God had found Rebecca for him. This Rebecca was a lot like his mom, so much so that as she married him and, 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 they, and he, he now had a wife, it was such a good thing. A wife is a good thing. A wife is a blessing from the Lord. It was so good for him that, that it comforted him in the death of his mom because she was so much like Sarah. Now, she, she's a lot more like Sarah than he even knows when he marries her. Now, I'm, I know that we don't do weddings like this. You know, we don't do sight unseen weddings. Now, I'm sure that now that I'm a, I would have never have wanted my parents to find my wife for me. But now that I'm a parent, I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound too, like, too bad of an idea. You know? <laughs> I don't think I'd mind doing that. 
I don't think my kids would want that to happen. You know, our, every culture is different, you know, in this area. And our culture really is one where it really is kind of like a hands-off sort of thing. I mean, almost opposite of this. And as I'm reading these things, I'm always trying to figure out, how, how can I apply this Old Testament stuff? You know, I mean, where, where's some personal application? A lot of this is not personal application. We learn about who God is, about His sovereignty. We're going to learn about, a little bit about His sovereignty and who, who He places in certain families in just a minute. But, but sometimes we can apply things. And I, and I think, how can we apply this model of Abraham in finding the right family for his child? Well, we can't go out and, and pick them exactly. I mean, we can't exactly do that. But we could certainly do a few things. One is we could pray for, for them. First, we could pray for our, our kids that they would be saved, that God would develop them to be marryable. You know, if we want a really godly person to marry our, our child, they have to be marryable of a person like that, you know? And so that God not only would save our child, but that, that God would develop them to be a, have a marryable character of, of someone who would then, as they marry together, would have a, a glorifying to God kind of life. But I could also pray for the the future spouse of my child. I've been doing that with, for my kids ever since they were born. And now every once in a while when I pray with the kids, I do it out loud with them. And like, they like open their eyes like, who are you praying about? Is there, is there someone you have in mind? But I just, I pray for the kids, the kids' future spouse, that they would be saved. I, I pray for the, the parents, that the parents would be saved of that, of the future spouse's, you know, parents would be saved. I pray that their parents wouldn't get divorced because there's one of the primary ways of predicting divorce is if parents get divorced, the likelihood of the, the children getting divorced is sky high. And so that their parents wouldn't be divorced. And so in those ways, I can participate trusting the Lord that the Lord's going to find... Uh, uh, that's the best I... You know, I mean, Ab- Abraham just said, hey, the angel's going to do it. <laughs> And so once we pray, we allow God to take care of the rest. Of course, we can, we can Abraham modeled for, for his children the kind of person to be, both good and bad. But as a dad, I could certainly model for my boy the type of husband to, to, to be to his future wife, and I can model for my daughter the type of man that, that she should marry. Um, and for those of you who are women, you could model for your sons the type of woman that your son should marry. I mean, if you wouldn't marry you, <laughs> would your son, would you want your son marrying you, you know? And so be the type of woman or man that you would want your kids to marry. And in that modeling, then they would know what to look for in a spouse model in your, in your marriage. And so when I say you're, I'm like talking to myself. These are ways that I could apply what, what happened to Abraham here. But anyway, he, Isaac was comforted by this very good thing that he had now a wife. Let's move quickly into Genesis 25 because Genesis 25 is really where we're going to spend um, most of our time tonight. Genesis 25, verse 1. Now Abraham took another wife. You rascal, you. <laughs> Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. And now the next several verses tell us that yeah, now he's alone, but now he marries another woman. And biblically, that's safe, that once your spouse dies, you are permitted to marry another woman. And it tells us in these next few verses that he had six sons, 
And then he had seven grandsons and three great-grandsons, at least that are mentioned here. And all of them were added blessings. These are all ways that they, they were added to the blessing that Abraham had. Now let's keep reading in verse 5. Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. And he was gathered to his people, meaning he effectively went to heaven. Now, there are some things in verse 8 that are kind of interesting. He died at a ripe old, old age. Well, how, what, what was the old age? Okay, yeah, he, he, 175 is pretty ripe. That's, a, that's an old age. And so now, Abraham has walked with God for, for 100 years. At 75, he was called from Haran. Now, for 100 years. He's been walking with God. I don't know many people who could say that, but Abraham did. And, and this is one of the reasons that Abraham was a friend of God. You remember that, that that's, God calls him a friend of God, and it's because they walked together for such a long time. Now, some of these other words in here. He died in a ripe old age. This is used of only five other men in the Bible. And this phrase is always used of godly, elderly men when they died at a, an old age. And so beyond Abraham, this is used of Isaac, so that's the second one, then Gideon in Judges 8, then King David in 1 Chronicles, and then a high priest Jehoiada in 2 Chronicles. These are the only five men that in this way died of a ripe old age. It says that the man, an old man and satisfied with life. The Hebrew there is full. He died full. You know, like when you go to Thanksgiving with your mom and it's illegal to pass anything by, you know, and no one is allowed to get up from the table until you just can literally cannot stomach any more of that food. That's full. That, that Abraham was satisfied with life. He was satiated with, with life. He, he, at the end of his life, he was completely full. He'd had enough. He'd had enough of life's troubles, but he'd also had had enough of God's blessings. He was full. He, he, had a, he had enough, and the Lord takes him home, verse 9. Then his sons, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave. Now remember that cave, verse 10, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, where Abraham buried his, with Sarah, his wife. It's the same cave. Sarah's buried there, and as I mentioned last week, many other uh, people are also eventually going to be buried in the same cave that Abraham bought initially for his wife, Sarah, and it came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived in 
I'm not even going to pronounce that. I listened to how that's pronounced, and it's not happening. Now, follow the math a little bit here with me. It, it might lose it, but we'll come back to it. Okay, so Isaac was 75 when his dad died. He was 75 years old. Now, when he was married to Rebecca, in, look in verse 20, uh, verse 20 of 25. It tells us how old he was when he married Rebecca. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca. Right? So he was 40 when he took Rebecca. Right? Okay? So he's, he'd been married 35 years in between you know, what, we, what we just read and then when he died. 35 years has, has passed. Okay? Now, Isaac was 60 years old when he has his two sons. Skip ahead in Genesis 25 to verse 26. Now, don't worry, we'll get to the details of this in a minute, but I just want you to see the, the, the ages. Afterwards, his brother came forth with his hand holding uh, onto Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. And so he was 40 when he, um, when he married Rebecca. He was 60 years old. Um, when he had these kids, he was 75 years old, Isaac was, 75 years old when his dad died. And so that means Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau, were 15 when he died. Now notice it's interesting, though, what we just, what we just read there in verse 11, that it came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. After he died, he blessed Isaac. Now that is interesting. Not before he died, after he died. Now, it's not like, it's not like get, God's hands are tied and he can only bless one person on planet Earth at a time and he's waiting for one to die and so that then he could bless another person. Whew, finally he died, so I can bless you. But it was until after his father died. Now, why did that have to be? We don't know exactly why it was like that. Maybe there was something in Isaac that really wasn't blessingable. <laughs> and, and so maybe that's why God didn't bless him until his dad died. We don't know all of those things. And yet, Abraham, when he died, he died full. He died full of joy. He died completely satiated with everything in life, even though he never saw the fulfillment of the promise of a son ever ever being blessed by God. Now, how could you die satisfied? How could you die satisfied when you never saw the complete blessing of what was promised by God? How could that even be? Well, it's because Abraham was a friend of God by now. And he knew that God was going to fulfill his promise. And it didn't matter to him anymore if he could see it or not. He just knew that God was going to fulfill it. Well, we're going to get to the fulfillment in, uh, in chapter 25, but let's first take a break, a 10-minute break, and we'll get back at it in a few. All right, Genesis 25. Isaac and, and, and Jacob, the, the next two patriarchs begin here in, in Genesis 25. And you know what's really interesting about Isaac is, comparatively speaking, we don't know a whole lot about Isaac. I mean, you think you know a lot about Isaac, but think of the number of chapters that we've followed of Abraham's life, you know, and the details that we know about him. Now, of Isaac, 
I mean, really, the, all, the things we know about Isaac are really through his relationships that he has with other people. We know about Isaac through his relationship with Rebecca. We know about Isaac through his relationship with his, with his boys, uh, Jacob and Esau. That's really the best way that we know um, about uh, Isaac. Now, one of the main things that is not written but is an underlying theme through this entire story that we're going to begin tonight and we'll, we'll, we'll trot on for several more chapters regarding Isaac and his two sons, Jacob and Esau. Here's one thing that is an underlying theme that we just need to remember, that, that, that none of this surprises God, that, that these two boys, by God's providence, were born into this family. This is a dysfunctional family, D- a dysfunction that in some ways kind of ruined their boys. But this doesn't surprise God. God is the one who placed them in the dysfunction. I'm kind of almost getting ahead of myself here because um, we need to start out with uh, verse 19 of Genesis 25. It says, Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, you probably don't notice this as we read through Scripture here because the Old Testament is not focused on the timing, the time, the, the days or hours or years in between each verse. But remember, in verse 20, Isaac marries Rebekah at what age? 40. But in verse 26, how old was he when, when he had his, his boys? It's been 20 years. I mean, 20 years just like passed by in like a verse and a half. Okay. Now, there's this 20-year time span in between when they get married and they finally have children. And that's because his wife, Rebecca, is more like his mom than really they knew. She was barren too. And, and for... For Isaac, this was a distress. This was a crisis in his life. Because not only did, is he familiar with the, the calling that he had from God, culturally, you needed to have kids. You had to have kids. You must have kids because your kids are your retirement. Particularly, your boys are your retirement. If you don't have sons, you are, you're going to be destitute and, and die an early death because there would be no one else to take care of you. There's no Social Security. There's no one, a 401Ks and IRAs and all that kind of stuff. That, that your sons were going to take care of you in your old age, and so this is a crisis for him. And so it's so good to see that Isaac goes straight to the Lord in this crisis. God was not like an afterthought. He goes to the Lord in prayer. Now, what we don't know in these verses, as, we, as in verse 20, it says, and Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. We don't know when he started praying, but I can guarantee you he didn't start praying on the 19th anniversary. <laughs> I bet that this issue was on his mind all the way from the beginning because his mom didn't have him until she was 90 years old. And so I bet, it doesn't tell us here, but I bet that Isaac was praying for his wife for those 19 years. And that's a wonderful thing. He went to the Lord, godly man. And not only that, look at verse 22. After she conceived, verse 22, but the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is so, 
why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So now we have another crisis. And the, 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 the true test of anyone's walk with God is a crisis. The true test of your walk with the Lord is not when things are easy. The, you know your walk with the Lord when you hit a crisis. And if you've ever been in a crisis, you know exactly what I mean. Because it reveals your closeness to the Lord. And so for, for Isaac, it revealed that he was close to the Lord. And now here we have Rebecca in the exact same situation. What was her crisis? Well, her crisis was a, a difficult pregnancy. That's not a crisis that Isaac could have. But that was a crisis that she had, a very difficult pregnancy. We don't know how difficult it was so difficult that it was going to be her life or their life. We don't know how bad it was. But it was such a difficult crisis that she cried out to the Lord. That's the right answer. She loved the Lord. God was not an afterthought in either one of their lives at all. But, but there are cracks in the marriage armor. And we see those as we continue to read the story, verse 23. The Lord said to her, answered her question about what's going on inside of me. Why is there such a, um, such a struggle with inside of me? Why is it hurting in these ways? And he says, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Okay, so God says there's more to going on here than what you know. They didn't have like uh, sonograms. They didn't have you know, the place in the mall where you can do 3D pictures and take videos and have birthday parties even before they're born, all that kind of stuff. They didn't have any of that. So she doesn't even know what's exactly happening in her, but now God gives her like the, the godly sonogram. Tells her that there are two in there. Oh, okay, well, that kind of helps answer the question a little bit. Verse 24, And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterwards, his brother came forth with his hand holding onto Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when he gave birth to them. And the boys grew up. Esau became a skilled hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in the tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So now we can start to see a little bit of dysfunction beginning to, to squeak above the surface of those prayers to the Lord. Now, the, these, two, the, these twins are not identical twins. They're fraternal twins, identical twins, you have an egg, splits, boom. And so when you have those kids, they are identical. But this is two eggs get separately uh, fertilized. I'm trying to think of all the proper terms. Or... <laughs> separately. So you have two eggs separately fertilized. And so the results of th those two types of pregnancies, those two types of twin pregnancies are going to be very different. You know, when, when, it's a, when it's an identical twin, that's what we imagine as twins, you know, where they have a similar height, a similar hair color, similar body shape, and a lot of times it's hard to tell the difference between the two. You might know some. You might know some in our church. I don't know. But, but then there's another kind of twin that really you don't think about very much because they're just hard to identify as twins, it's the type of twins that when they're born, they look nothing alike. The identical twins, it's immediate. You can immediately tell they are the same. And sometimes even, their personalities are at least similar. But then when you have fraternal twins, they, 
there is a vast difference between the two. And that's the type of twins that we have here. Two separate eggs, separately fertilized. And so the twins that are growing inside of her are very different. And so we see the differences. Verse 25, the first came out forth red. All, uh, uh, red all over like a hairy garment. I mean, this, <laughs> this kid is just Mr. Harry right out from the get-go, you know? I mean, he's like a manly man just coming out of the womb. Okay, and then, and then we have the next one coming out, and the next one is Jacob, and Jacob is not that way. Jacob is, I mean, he's like just permanently shaved all the time, you know, <laughs> clean cut all, all, all the time. And so now we have these two differences, dramatic differences in their look. And not only is it different differences in their look, it's also different, very different personalities. Uh, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skilled hunter, a man of the field. He was a man's man, hairy man, man. I mean, you know, he, he's the first Duck Dynasty guy, you know what I mean? Manly man, hairy man, man, beard. Okay. But Jacob, eh. J- Jacob was sis- sissy, mama's boy? Um, he, he was a living in the tents. Esau goes out and he hunts and he fishes and he camps and, you know, brushes his teeth with a, with a pine cone, uh, wipes with a stick. It's just, that's the kind of man he is. Now, Jacob, I mean, give me a Hilton is what Jacob is saying. Now, there's a, the problem here is that there are differences. And, and every parent, because we're human, has the potential to appreciate uh, certain aspects of their children that they prefer. Maybe you, they prefer them because they're not like themselves, or they prefer them because they are like themselves, but for whatever reason, it's a preference. And it could be easy for a parent to begin to love that one child more than the other. And as though they were godly people, this was the dysfunction in their home, that they, they picked favorites. And so, dad, Isaac, wants to have the manly man's son. And so his favorite was who? Esau, Mr. Harry. <laughs> Isaac loved dirty Harry. Uh, that's what he liked. Now, his mom, eh, you know, someone to, I can love and hug and help me cook and be in the kitchen with me. So great, someone to have around. And so they began not only to, to love their, they didn't love their sons equally. They're different. I mean, we all love our children equally, hopefully. But they didn't. They began to pick their favorites because of these nuances. Now, God knew all this was going to be. He placed these twins inside the womb. He knew that there was this dysfunction that was going to crack, come through the cracks. And yet, it, the dysfunction did come through the cracks, and they did begin to pair, uh, compare their kids together. And so this favoritism begins to, to brew. And so, verse 29, when Jacob 
had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please, let me have a, a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, first, tell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am about to die. So what use of, it, of, what, of, so, of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first, swear to me. And so he swore to him and sold the birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and arose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The birthright is like a, fa- the f- a position in the family. This wasn't all the wealth in the family, but this was the position in the family. This was the, the lead, he was going to be the leader of the family, um, the, uh, the priest of the family. And effectively, in the context here, he's going to be in the line of Jesus Christ. And so that's what this birthright is here. And so we learn that it, through this just little short interaction that Isaac and Rebekah failed in their parenting because of their favoritism that they had on their two sons. Mom loved Jacob, and, and dad loved Esau. And because of that, then, you have these results. Jacob is like the, <laughs> he's the shyster. He's the, the deceiver, the ma- manipulator. And then you have Esau, who, who cares nothing about the birthright, nothing about the, 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 the family at all, nothing about, uh, he doesn't, doesn't care about uh, the, the, the priestly responsibility at all. He doesn't care about any of it at all. Now, we are often the products of our parents, you know what I mean? Like, not, not like some weird Freudian way, you know, Freudian, the whole Freudian thing is you blame your parents for everything, you know? Yeah, I robbed a bank, but my parents made me eat peas, and so it's their fault. Like, that's like <laughs> Dr. Freud's system. But, but we do need to know that our upbringing affects who we are. I think we could all understand that, that our upbringing affects the, the way that we think, affects the way that we do things, and that is certainly what happened to these two boys. And that's what's so wonderful about uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, new things have come. As in Christ, he changes who we are, sometimes immediately, sometimes slowly over time, but we don't have to live the way that we grew up. That was what's so wonderful about, about what Christ does for us. Well, b- both... Isaac and Rebekah knew what was going on with their kids. They knew the trajectory. Remember, God told them, two nations are in your room. Two peoples will be separated for, from your body. Uh, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the, other shall, the, uh, the uh, older shall serve the younger. And I don't know if they didn't pay, I, I don't know if they didn't care and just ignored it, or if they knew it and just tried to manipulate situations to make sure that what God said was going to happen. But whatever it was, they, they were not interested in loving their two boys equally. They, they picked their favorites, and they, they really honed in. And Isaac, man, he really wanted his son to be that man's man, and he was. And mom really wanted his, her son Jacob to be that, uh, that one that was in the home, the peacemaker, the one that she could be with in the tents while uh, the men were out doing their thing. And it, it, see, it appears to me as if mom and dad was not at all interested in what God's direction for the boys were. It seems to me that mom and dad were only interested in what they wanted their boys to do. That 
that the parents didn't care what God's trajectory was, that the parents only wanted to send their boys on their own trajectories. Now, I mean, that sounds familiar to me. I have, I have coached boys baseball, and I know some parents who have a trajectory for their son, that that's the way that my boy is going to make it in life. That's the where's where he's going to get a scholarship. I've been a parent of kids in school for long enough to know that there are parents that say their ac- academics is the only thing in life. And so those parents begin to set their children on trajectories that may not even be the trajectory that the Lord would have them on. But it's only because that parent has an affinity in that little nuance of that child. And they begin to train up the child, not in the way that the child should go. They begin to train up the child in the way that the parents want the child to go. And that is dangerous. And that's exactly what is occurring here. Isaac and Rebecca wanted their own personal desires seen in their kids. And that caused a tragedy in their kids' lives. It was a dysfunctional home. And, and those kids paid the price. Now, you can't blame your parents for, for your you know, you sin. You can't blame your parents for that. But um, the, the raising that mom and dad did caused what we read here from verse 29 to 34. We probably didn't look at that too deeply. 29, then Jacob had cooked stew. Remember, Jacob is the one in the, in the, in the tents cooking. And Esau came home from the field. And he was famished. Uh, <laughs> verse 32, he says, I'm about to die. <laughs> well, okay. He's not, he's not dying. He's not starving. It sounds like, you know, your, your toddlers, you give, them, you give them food, you give them lunch. Literally 10 minutes later, I'm starving. <laughs> You're not starving. It's kind of like when you eat at Taco Bell 10 minutes later, I'm starving. It's kind of like that. <laughs> but he'd been out working in the fields. He'd been outdoors. And he was hungry and he was tired, but no one's dying here, just for clarity, right? No one's, no one's dying what's, in what's going on here. But in this moment, Jacob sees, verse 31, he sees the chance to get back at his brother. It's been a competition, mom versus dad, me versus you, our entire life. And now's my chance to get back at the firstborn. Remember when he was born, he was holding on to the heel of his brother coming out. You shouldn't be first. Well, Esau was first, but Jacob is holding on to that heel, and now's his chance. Sell me your birthright. This is his chance. Now, remember, I told you that a birthright meant a, a, the, the family position of a leader. That the, the, the birthright obviously passed from the firstborn son to the firstborn son to the firstborn son. And that firstborn son is going to be the, the religious priest, the, the, the religious leader in the home. And uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the context here, obviously, long-term, as we know the rest of Scripture, is he's going to be in the line of the Messiah. And he's, he, he's going to be a patriarch. And the question is, did Esau value that birthright at all? No. He wanted nothing to do with the family. He'd seen the hypocrisy in his parents all along, and he wanted nothing to do with any of this. And so when Jacob said, hey, can I have your birthright? 
I'll sell it to you for some Chef Boyardee. <laughs> Esau's like, I don't even, he doesn't even care. There is nothing spiritual inside of Esau here. He, he doesn't care about anything godly, anything for his family at all. Now, Jacob was also wrong, by the way. We'll get to more of that next week because there's more coming in this. There's more trickery, there's more deception, there's more shastiness that's coming. Now, none of this surprises God. Shastiness is not a word. I just made it up. None of this surprises God. God put him in the fam. God put these two people in the family. God, God put them there. And that's, that's God's decision. We're the clay, he's the potter. He can do whatever he wants. Maybe you find yourself, you have grown up in a dysfunctional home. Didn't surprise God. Why? I don't know. But the potter can do what he wants with the clay. And, and he put these two boys here. Now, Jacob does become the birthright son, as, an asp- as, a, as what occurs here. Now, did Jacob deserve it? Absolutely not. He didn't deserve it. But of course, every gift that comes from God is undeserved. None of us deserve anything. And Jacob certainly didn't deserve this either. Well, there's more to the story, and some of you already know it, um, but uh, we have to close. It's time to be done. Let's close in prayer. Oh, God, I thank you for uh, what you've taught us tonight, and I pray that you're glorified and we are edified by what we hear tonight. We thank you for your provision. We thank you that you are the potter, and we are willing to be uh, moved and adjusted by you. There's nothing better than to be in your will, even if it's a place that, that we wouldn't prefer. And so we pray that you would uh, help us as we live our lives as believers this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before, I didn't even announce who, who brought the cookies tonight. Tonight the cookies were brought to you by Lonnie and Jennifer O'Dell. Lonnie Kors, Jennifer O'Dell. Thank you, ladies. I'll see you Sunday.